Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Joseph is clearly important in the book of Genesis. I think there's more written about Joseph in the book of Genesis than any other person. He is so clearly a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't help but see the Lord Jesus Christ in Joseph. But the Lord Jesus Christ will not actually come from Joseph, but from Judah. And for that reason, Judah is very important for the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, that's what they're named. The term Jew comes from Judah. They're named Judas. So this chapter that we're coming into now, chapter 38, is kind of like the last chapter, the previous chapter. It's really a very dark chapter. Again, it's a very dark chapter. A little bit of sunlight, but not much. It's very dark. And we're going to see some really terrible behavior on the part of Judah. And it's going to make one verse kind of amazing for us. As a matter of fact, if you open this chapter and you take this paper and write down a particular verse and sort of keep it right there front and center as you read this chapter, it's amazing. And that verse is Hebrews 7.14. Hebrews 7.14 is the verse you got to keep on the side of this chapter as you read it. For Hebrews 7.14 says, For it's evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Now, there's two points that are are really prominent in Hebrews 7.14. First, that our Lord sprang out of Judah. That word, sprang out of, it carries kind of a surprise, you know, something you're not expected. You know, when our boys were infants, when they were small, they were little, you know, we had a jack-in-the-box toy. Did you all have those? <laughs> those are great. And, you know, ours are the colorful can, you know, jack-in-the-box, you know, clown. And we push the clown down in the box and then close the lid, you know, and put it in front of the boys. They were infants. And then we slowly turn the handle, <laughs> you know, and it plays the music, you know, Pop Goes the Weasel, you know. You know the song, right? Okay, and they would just stare at that colorful box, you know, and listen to the music of Bob Goes the Weasel and watch as we turn the handle slower and slower and the music would get slower and slower until we got to the point of Bob Goes the Weasel and then, bam, you know, (laughs) up would pop this jack-in-the-box and our boys would be so surprised and shocked that their little heads would bounce back on the seat they were sitting in, you know. They probably try cruelty, I don't know, but anyway. And, and they would have this total shock on their eyes. It would be all wide, big, because they were infants, you know. And then they'd laugh. You know, first shock, and then they laugh. They always had those two responses. It was really interesting. You know, it was always shock and laugh, shock and laugh, shock and laugh. 
And it didn't matter how many times we did it. Every time. They were shocked and they would start to laugh. And then they want us to do it again. <laughs> and so we'd get again and again and again. And every time. They were surprised, and they laughed, and it didn't matter how many times we'd just done it. They were always shocked and start to laugh. Every time we did it, it was just like the first time we ever did it. They were always shocked, and they'd always laugh. And for us to see their response made us laugh. It made me laugh. You know, and it's kind of a little surprising when a thing jumps out of there, you know. That jack-in-the-box is a lot of fun. I have a toy room in my house for when the kids come over. As a matter of fact, I just ordered one of those, those Jack in the Box of Toy Room because I couldn't find it. So I'm looking forward to the next infant that comes over so I can play the Jack in the Box for them again. Or sometime you might come to my house and you might look in the window of my house and you might see me playing with the Jack in the Box. <laughs> I still get surprised and I laugh and that thing springs out. You know, this is what Chapter 38 is all about. Chapter 38 is the Jack in the Box in the can. You know, we're the infant, we're sitting in the infant chair, and the box and the music are chapter 38. They're the life of Judah. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is a surprise jack-in-the-box in there. So as we read chapter 38, God is slowly turning the handle, you know, and we're watching and we're listening in the life of Judah. And it's just like us listening to the music, you know, Pop Goes the Weevil. And we think, okay, we see a clear picture of who Judah is. Okay, we got it. <laughs> you know, we got Judah's number here. We can see it. He's really a terrible person. He has absolute uncontrolled sexual passions. We get it. I mean, Judah, we study this. I don't know about you, but when I read about Judah, there's only one person, you know, that comes to mind when I read about Judah. Leonard Cohen. <laughs> the Montreal, the Canadian songwriter, you know, the musician. Or, uh, Judah, to me, is just like Leonard Cohen. And there's one word to, you know, think about it. Judah, unworthy, all right? And then later in the Bible, you know, when we see the Lord Jesus Christ coming out of the tribe of Judah, it's like, bam, you know, the jack of the box, up pops the Lord Jesus Christ from the tribe of Judah. You know? That's what we see in Hebrews 7.14 with the words, our Lord sprang out of Judah. You know, just like a baby, you know, we're, we're at first we're shocked because, you know, we, we just didn't expect that. We didn't expect that. We just didn't see that coming. You know, it's just like the baby and it, we were shocked and then we break out in laughter with glee. And now we're so, you know, we're so shocked, but why do we laugh? Why do we laugh? We're shocked because first of all, Hebrews 7:14 said that Judah of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. You know, we're shocked because the Lord Jesus Christ was the great high priest, and he came from the tribe of Judah. And Moses said nothing about priests coming from the tribe of Judah. Moses said everything about priests coming from the tribe of Levi, but nothing about priests coming from the tribe of Judah. So the fact that the, the great high priest, the Lord Jesus, came from Judah, that throws us back, you know, in shock, in a state of, like, unexpected surprise, you know, and then we're also shocked when we look at this awful life of Judah, which we're going to cover here in this chapter, which is so full of unholiness that Paul could, you know what Paul could say about the life of Judah in this chapter? Paul could say the words of Ephesians 5.12 about this chapter, Ephesians 5.12. It's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. I mean, what Judah does in this chapter in secret is a shame to speak of. What's even more shameful is that Judah's not even secretive about it, which really shows he doesn't feel ashamed. He should be ashamed, but he doesn't feel ashamed. And so what we conclude from this chapter 
about Judah is one word about Judah, meritless. Judah is meritless. And we will write Judah off, I mean, in this chapter, as terrible, as shameful, as meritless. So to see the Lord Jesus spring out of the tribe of Judah shocks us. It throws our heads back in the seat. And we say, I just didn't see that coming. You know, just like a baby, you know, do it again, you know. Put the jack in the box down in there, turn the handle and see it again. And shocked to see Hebrews 7, 14, our Lord sprang out of Judah. And just like an infant, you know, we, we start to laugh after where the shock's over. We laugh. Why do we laugh? We laugh because we see how meritless Judah was. I mean, this chapter shows us, really, how meritless Judah was, that he should become the founder of the tribe from which the Savior of the world should spring. That's incredible. That means that for our Lord to spring out of Judah, that worthiness did not come from Judah, but all the worthiness came from the Lord Jesus Christ. And since the Jews are named after the tribe of Judah, that means that for the Lord to have the Jewish people as his own people, which he does, that worthiness did not come from the Jewish people, but all worthiness came from the king of the Jews, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we laugh because we see Judah's awful behavior, and we see so clearly that God deals with man not based on man's merit, but based solely on God's grace and mercy. We just sang the song in the previous Breaking of Bread service. We just sang the song that Scott asked for, and the chorus was, Oh, the love that sought me. Oh, the blood that bought me. Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold. I mean, we laugh because we're so happy from this chapter to see God's grace. It really is amazing. And God's grace really is fathomless. And so as we see this, it makes us laugh with joy because we understand from this chapter, that because of God's grace and merit, no one, no one should ever think of because of what I've done, God can't forgive me. No one should ever think that in this chapter. If God could forgive, which he did, Judah, then God can forgive anyone. And that makes us happy to see that because it just shows us the truth of the hymn, wonderful grace of Jesus reaching the most defiled by its transforming power, making him God's dear child. It shows us the the hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And it makes us, and can it be? In vain, the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. Tis mercy all. Let let earth adore. Let angel minds inquire no more. Now, as we mentioned here, a coming of chapter 38. At first glance, at first blush, Chapter 38 seems so out of place. I mean, chapter 37 is a history of Joseph, and now chapter 38 is a history of Judah. So at first glance here, it seems like the book seems to be jumping around a bit. And we think that until we ask a question, what is it that ties these two together? What is it that ties chapter 38 and chapter 37 together? What is the relationship between the last chapter 37 about Joseph And this chapter 38 about Judah, and the answer is one word, lost, or seemingly lost. I mean, the last chapter ended with Joseph going away from his brothers, as we already talked about, into Egypt. They thought they'd never see him again. And so we could say the last chapter really ends with this thought, 
separated from his brothers and lost or seemingly lost in Egypt to never be seen again. Now, when this chapter begins, it starts out with the words, Judah went down from his brethren. And we see this new chapter really is starting with the same theme. And this here's the theme all over again. Separated Judah now. Separated from his brothers and lost, or seemingly lost, and never to be seen again. And that theme is what is seen between the two. Tragically, that's seen in Christian homes, especially when a young person goes off to college and he loses his faith on campus and the same theme, separated from his family and church and lost or seemingly lost and never to be seen again. And as we already considered, it was surprising in the histories as we saw Moses, David, and the Lord. Now, Judah here, everything that Judah does is on a grand scale. It's like on a great scale. I mean, we see Judah here, he has a great rebellion and departure from home. Judah has a great sensual nature. Judah has great passions. Judah has great sexual sins. Judah has great self-condemnation. Judah has great struggles, and Judah wonderfully has great repentance. So for us, this chapter really stands as a chapter that is about Judah, but this chapter really stands more for us personally as a warning, a warning of the dangers of sexual sins. I mean, we're told in verse 1, starts off, came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adelamite whose name was Hira. Judah went down from his brethren. Here we see Judah, he's separating themselves from his brothers and his family. And we can feel this in Judah. He's got this rebellious departure from home. He's itching to get away from home. Judah, he feels like, you know, I've got places to go. I've got people to meet. I've got new friends to make. I've got women to conquer. And this home, with all the restrictions of my father and my father's God, it's suffocating me. And i got to break out and experience the world for myself. Now, you see, Judah saying, there's a great world of opportunities out there for me, and I'm dying in this house, and I hear the call, and I'm done with this family, and my father and his God, I'm out of here, let me loose. That's Judah. Judah is very much like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, Luke chapter 15, verse 10, where the Lord said, likewise, I say unto you that there is joy in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, a certain man had two sons. Younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, the other son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. That's Judah. He's no longer happy to live with his father's home and with his brothers. Judah wants to break out and he wants to go for a life of riotous living, wine, women, song. So Judah has left home, and there's this a typical, with a rebellion like this, is this, this, first is this feeling of freedom, you know, this exhilaration that he feels there. And first thing he does, he meets a new friend. He meets a new friend, verse 1, certain Adelamite, his name was Hira. Judah feels so exhilarated. He's free, free from his home. 
And he goes out saying to himself, you know, I'm free, I'm free at last, I'm free, I'm free from my house and my brothers. And he's got this exhilarated feeling, and he meets this new friend named Hira. And you know what's interesting about Hira? You know what Hira's name means? Free. That's what I mean. So that perfect, you know, what a friend. It expresses how I'm feeling. So he thinks, my new friend, Hira, with a name like free, he's perfect for me. No more restraints like I had at home. And so we read in verse 1 that Judah turned to a certain Adalamite whose name was Hira. Now, the Hebrew word for turned, turned in, means he pitched. It's used for setting up a tent. This means that Judah, what he did is he pitched his tent or he set up his tent as close as he could to his new friend Hira, the Adalamite. Now, when it says that Hira was an Adalamite, that means Hira, Hira obviously was a Canaanite. He was a Canaanite. And we know about Canaanites. I mean, we've seen this about Canaanites. I mean, you know, they were, uh, the Canaanites are, clearly are a people, were a people, the Canaanites who characterize the Canaanites. No sexual restraints with the Canaanites. You know, as one of the kings of Canaan put it, as we saw earlier in Genesis 26.10, Abimelech said, what is this thou hast done? One of the people might lightly have line, line laid down with thy wife. And so the Canaanites had this ongoing sexual revolution. They, they're the people of free love. You know, they're described as lightly lying with this person, that person. Sodom and Gomorrah, part of Canaan. And they had taken on their sexual revolution to a new level that eventuated in God intervening with the judgment of fire and brimstone. Well, Hira is part of this culture. He's part of this culture of this sexual permissiveness. And that meant that Judah's new friend was not a good influence on Judah. You know, like it says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, 1 Corinthians 15.33, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Uh, I'm not quite sure who's corrupting who here, but Judah is not in good company to help him with his problem of unbridled sexual lusts. You know, I mean, I saw this both at Miami University in Ohio and UCSD when I was a student there, and, you know, I saw kids who were raised in good homes with good moral upbringing, just like Judah. They went off from home. They went off from family. They went off from church, and they found this new freedom on the university campus. And and if they didn't become immediately active in Miami University, had a very active InterVarsity Christian Fellowship group or Campus Crusade for Christ or Navigators, which were strong at at Miami University, but at at UCSD, we were a little too small for that, so we had them all together called Trident Christian Fellowship at UCSD. If they didn't get involved immediately in that, then those kids like Judah, they met their hires. They met their hires on campus, and it wasn't long before their new friends helped them into new sexual unions like Judah found. And it was amazing to me how open these kids were to making these new friends, sometimes in fraternities, sometimes in sororities. I remember, I remember my first week in, in the men's dormitory at Miami University, seeing guys that run out the dorm shouting like wild animals with the dorm pillows in their hand on the way down some dark paths of sin. I mean, I was shocked at the time, and I was thinking to myself, hey, wait a minute, I come from Los Angeles I looked for a peaceful place, which I thought I found here. I thought I found the quiet cornfields of Ohio in the middle of the Midwest, you know? I, I never saw this kind of behavior in, uh, this, in the wild jungles of Los Angeles. You know? Well, Judah has made a new friend. And the best thing that a child can do in life 
is to make their parents their best friends. That's the best thing to do. Well, this new connection that Judah has made with Hira was against the will of God. Now, after Judah has got his dormitory tent set up close to Hira, Judah goes out with his pillow in his hand, and we read in verse 2, Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name, a Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went in unto her. Now, now Judah was looking, what he was looking for is very clear. You know, Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite. When it says Judah saw, it shows that Judah was looking for, in his criteria, what he was looking for was, how does she look? Or, or is she good looking? You know, Judah is only concerned about how she looks. He's only concerned about her body. I mean, he doesn't see her as an individual person. He doesn't see her with an individual name. And to emphasize this, that Judah doesn't see her as an individual person, the Bible does something here that, to my knowledge, I've never seen the Bible do before. And throughout the whole Bible, I've never seen this done before, where the Bible does not tell us what her real name is. We don't know her name. The Bible talks a lot about this person, you know, Judah's wife here, but he never really reveals to us what her name is, what her actual name is. It's so strange only to refer to this woman as the daughter of Shua, and we're never given her name. She's only known as the daughter of Shua. I mean, it's purposeful, you know. I mean, the Jews, the rabbis, I should say, the rabbis, they call her Bat Shua, you know, daughter of Shua. That's what they call her. Well, so we'll call her daughter of Shua. We're not going to say Bat Shua, but we'll call her daughter of Shua. But it's purposeful because it's emphasizing for Judah, it doesn't matter what her name is. You know, she's just a sexual object without a name. For Judah, it's not who is she. It's not what is her name. It's not what is she like as a person. It's not what is she like, what does she dislike. Is she clever? Is she smart? Is she godly? No, I don't think he would ask that. <laughs> for Judah, it's is she hot? You know, does she have a spark? Does she light my fire? You know, Judah looks at her and says, come on, baby, light my fire. That's what he's after. And it's just like Judah, he's built a little fireplace in his heart. He's got a pile of dry tinder, and he's looking for that woman that's going to come and spark and light that fire, that's going to ignite that tinder into a raging fire of uncontrolled sexual passions. And that's what's going on here. So, And Judah found the little spark. And, 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 and she set his tender, uh, t- tender pile there ablaze, and, 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 and she was, who is she? Well, she's the daughter of a certain Shunammite, and the man's name is Shua. Okay. It's interesting that the name Shua means cry for help. That's what the name Shua means. So for Judah, he marries this daughter of Shua, who is referred to, as I said, daughter of Shua. So there's this daughter of Shua, who herself is a very needy person, whose father, the meaning means cry for help, and so we can imagine she's crying for help. And instead of helping her by keeping her pure and giving her some esteem, he takes her, defiles her, and makes the daughter of Shua, the daughter of cry for help, more of a cry for help. And so in verse 2, he sees her, and he's quick. He's quick in verse 2. He took her, he went in unto her. I mean, the sequence is rapid. He saw her, he took her, he went in unto her. One, two, three. Not much time there to get to know her, not much time to talk with her, not much time to get to know her family, just the, he saw her, he took her, he went in unto her. (laughs) 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13 and a half point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org.